I'm Mason Toy, and you're listening to the Sound of the Loons podcast. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast i'm steve mcpherson and i'm joined by cal williams cal cal where, where are you i i'm i'm in a room recording this alone <laughs> i'm over here oh where where's that <laughs> well if you get a certain set of binoculars i'm sure you can see me i'm actually in atlanta at the moment okay we are obviously preparing for our game against atlanta united on wednesday evening. you got there you got there really really early i, I think i i was talking to the team this morning so you're you're way ahead of the game i'm way ahead of the game um obviously it was um a, a public holiday here on monday so my wife and i decided to come down and spend a, a day with uh, some family that we have down here Mm-hmm. And uh, we thought, well, it only makes sense, really, as we're playing Atlanta in Atlanta on Wednesday. So um, it all made sense. I, I had a, a very good day off. I hope you didn't know, but listened to it as well. Uh, but looking forward to getting back to things for sure. So uh, I hear it's pretty hot in Atlanta. Is it like 90 degrees? Um, it is like the surface of the sun. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> It's not pleasant. And my pale, pasty, English-Irish skin has suffered big time, yes. um, and uh, which is to be expected, to be honest. So, um, you know, it, it, look, it is what it is, but there's no doubt my skin is not used to this, and I'm already drastically missing the weather in the Twin Cities. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of your English and Irish skin, I wanted to congratulate it on uh, Aston Villa ascending uh, to the top division of, of English soccer. Yeah, thank you. Um, there was uh, a fun time had by all. Uh, talking of uh, English and Irish pale skin, I watched the game uh, with a chap several people might be aware of, an individual called Kevin Egan, who hails from Ireland, uh, Dublin in particular. He's the uh, announcer for Atlanta United, and I've been good friends in the industry for some time, and it just happened to work out that we were in Atlanta uh, at the same time. So we ended up watching the game together. And, um, you know, uh, there were celebrations had by all. We wandered into uh, a fabulous pub in the morning to go and watch the game, and there was uh, a healthy contingent of Aston Villa fans, which which made me very happy. And, um, you know, I, I don't remember Steve ever being that nervous about a game leading up to it. And then, you know, when it when it got to the last uh, 10 minutes or so when Derby County scored, um, you know, I've been used to watching, like a lot of Minnesota sports fans, I've been used to watching my team suffer um, and throw things away at the last minute, you know. So it's um, it, it, it was very, very nerve-wracking. But look, at the end of the day, uh, the boys in Clarence and Blue were able to hold on and now Minnesota United on July 17th welcome a Premier League Aston Villa to Allianz Field. Yeah, that game on July 17th. It was always going to be fun, but uh, this definitely takes it up a notch. Um, it's it's very cool. I found myself thinking about how I can imagine how nerve-wracking it is because, you know, in, in, in American sports where there's not 
promotion and relegation, you know, you follow the NBA, your team is in, in the finals. It, either they win the finals or they, they lose the finals, but then they start the next season, you know, with, with, with title hopes again. Um, this is, if you win this, this, this championship, you're into an entirely different league. Like you're out of there. You're, <laughs> so you are, you're in an entirely different league and you're in uh, arguably the best league in the world. And also that the major difference, why, why this game, um, and the main reason why it means so much is because of the money that's behind it. Let's, let's make no bones about it. You know, sure. of course, everybody wants to, to be in the Premier League and, and play at the top level. But, um, you know, the, the difference, um, the financial difference that your team has when you're in the Premier League is, is eyebrow-raising um, beyond belief. It's, um, I think, you know, this, this particular game, it's been called the richest game in sports. Um, for many a year now, and, and the, the value of the game because of various world television deals with the Premier League, because of a sprinkling of sponsorships, and because of the uh, attention you get when you're in the Premier League, it's worth so much money. And I think this year, I believe the game's worth just short of a quarter of a billion dollars yeah. um, to whoever went up to the Premier League. And, and the interesting thing is as well, Steve, that there's, uh, there's a thing called parachute payments, which the Premier League pay you when you get relegated. Um, they pay you because um, it, it's basically all the sponsorship deals that you have, all the TV rights, uh, all the money that you got from the TV rights, the global TV deals are still being fed to you. Right. Um, even though you're not a, a Premier League team, that they, they are given to you over a certain amount of years. Um, and again, just another reason why it's so valuable to be in the Premier League, even if it is just for one season, you see all these teams like Huddersfield and Brighton and Bournemouth, you know, over the last couple of years that have come into the Premier League for the very first time. And just one season has completely changed the outlook of that football club. Sure. Um, and so another reason why it was so big for Villa was this next season would have been our fourth in the second tier and the parachute payments would have stopped. Mm. So we would have been operating with a lot less money next year. No doubt we would have lost a lot of our star players. would have had to send back the players that we had on loan from other Premier League teams back because we wouldn't have been able to afford the wages and, and so on. So sure. um, it, it really was make or break for Aston Villa. And I, I cannot tell you the relief that I experienced when that final whistle went. It was... Um, it was a special moment, no doubt. Yeah, well, that's just tremendous. We're all looking forward to seeing Aston Villa. I'm sure you as well when they uh, come to Allianz Field on July 17th. Let's let's get into a little bit the uh, the win over Houston, the 1-0 win. Uh, Roman Matineer's uh, entirely intentional goal being the difference in the 20th <laughs> minute there. Um, the thing I wanted to start with, because I think this got lost on me a little bit in, you know, as, as we're getting ready for the game, and I sort of knew this was happening already, uh, and I just got lost in paying attention to the game. I wanted to mention Hassani Dotson. Uh, specifically, mm. because I'll be honest, uh, after Minnesota United took Dane St. Clair and Chase Gasper, I was, I sort of stopped paying attention to the draft. I was like, you know, your first round picks, that's what's important. Um, your second round picks, you know, they'll, they'll come along. Maybe they get signed. Maybe they don't get signed. Uh, I thought that Chase looked good and uh, close to a complete player that he would probably get minutes. He struggled with, with injuries recently and not, not really due to his, his own. It's not like he hasn't been working. He's just been injured. And then I figured Dane would go to Madison. We wouldn't see first team minutes from him. Mm. You know, goalkeepers are, you got to season them. And, and he looked good in that, that game against Hertha, but 
you know, he just, he just needs time. So when Hassani was drafted, I was, you know, I was like, Oh, well maybe we'll see him. Maybe, maybe I'll meet him someday. Like, or maybe he'll just disappear from the squad forever, but man, he is, he is good. And I, you know, I don't think he necessarily has, um, the ceiling of a player like Dane, I mean, Dane's combination of size and all of that is, is, you know, that's what you look for in a goalkeeper, but in terms of just, you know, he's, he does what's asked of him. He's flexible. He was drafted as a midfielder. He's played at right back. He's played at left back. He's put in the work. I know the coaching staff is just really enthused about him and his hard work. He's just been terrific. And it was great to see him get that chance to be, you know, like I'm, I don't think anybody here after the draft would have said he's the first rookie who's going to get a start in MLS. And I think it's, I think it's terrific. It is. And I'll wholeheartedly disagree with you saying that he's a player that doesn't have the same feeling as Dane Singh. Okay, I, understand, I understand my white roles uh, assumptions were made because Dane Singh player came in to the draft with a very, very good reputation. He came in as an NCAA champion as well. Let's not forget with the University of Maryland. So um, expectations was always right with him, and, and quite rightly so as well. And we got a glimpse to play against Tesla, and as you mentioned last week, and, you know he's um, he's been described as a project for for, for many uh, a year um, by Adrian Heath and, and Lookham, and he will be he will be the Minnesota United number one at some stage. But let's be patient. You know I don't think that time's going to come for a while yet. Um, but with Hassani, he sort of entered the draft as a relative unknown, didn't he? And, um, you know, I, I, as the broadcaster with my due diligence and, and prepared and, and sort of, um, you know, inquisitively uh, went about my way to see who Minnesota may very well draft. And, you know, Hassani's name was, was brought up, um, not, not only by Minnesota, I know there was a couple of other teams that, that liked him as well. Um, I even remember the guys on MLSsoccer.com, I think it was Matt Doyle, who um, very candidly just sort of shrugged his shoulders when asked about Charlie Dobson um, and didn't really think too much. And um, You know, it, it's interesting because there's been a couple of, of MLS players that um, have gone on to have fledging careers that have gone later. I mean, the, the one place away that sticks out is, is Chris Wondolowski. I think he went in the fourth round or something like that, I believe, back in the... You know, the, the early 2000s and what, I think it's 2005 sure. uh, where he was drafted. And, um, you know, uh, Nick Romando, I believe, was a late-round pick. Uh, I, I think Condensi may even have been a, a late-round pick. Not not considerably late, but late enough considering mm-hmm. the place he's turned into. Um, so, uh, look, for me as well, I think um, having spent a little bit of time with Hassani, you know, as you, as you do when you're on the road, you, you tend to bump into players in the, the hotel lobby and have a little coffee or whatever from time to time. And, um, you know, Hassani and I had a good chat um, a while ago. I think it was just after the Vancouver game, actually. And he struck me as um, incredibly switched on as a human being and as a professional. And that's not always the case with 21-year-old individuals. <laughs> sure. So, um you know, I, I've I've been incredibly impressed with how he holds himself, uh, not only as a, as a professional but as a human being as well. He understands his role, and he is um, p- perhaps described the best way as a footballing sponge, where he just wants to take everything in. Right. Um, he he listens to the coach and staff. Um, he I know for a fact he has been observing Ozzy Alonso and. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's interesting as well, isn't it, Steve? Because we've been so impressed with him, um, and we've seen glimpses of him play in central midfield, his natural position. But 
where we've really been impressed with him is when he's been playing out of position. Yeah. <laughs> when he's been playing at, at right back against Hertha, then at left back for the second half, and then left back again against Houston Dynamo. So, um, he, he, as I said, he, he strikes me as, as a, a pristine professional. Um, and look, I, I think at some stage, um, look, Ozzy isn't getting any younger. I think at some stage we will see him develop into a central midfielder as opposed to a fullback. Mm-hmm. But not only has he increased his value to this club um, because of, of the way he plays and, and the way he he uh, listens and wants to learn and wants to be a first-team player, he's also now done it by proving that he's also versatile and can play in either fullback positions as well. So, um, you know, in a salary cap league, in a, in a league where you can only have 28 players on the roster, that is absolutely invaluable. And I think Castani Dotson is going to be a very important part of this team moving forward over the next couple of years. Yeah, I absolutely think that the the the, the chance to have, you know, for him to be able to get first-team minutes playing in the, you know, in a position of need, uh, you know, on the wings as a fullback while still sort of being an understudy for, for Ozzy Alonso, who, as you said, you know, he's, he's getting toward the end of his career. You know, if, if, if he becomes, if Ozzy can sort of be his mentor and he's under that tutelage and then, you know, when the time comes, you have a kid who's, I mean, Hassani's 21 right now, you know, imagine he's 23 or 24 and then just a central midfielder who you could have for, 10 years <laughs> it could be mm-hmm. tremendous from that point on, you know? So, um, and again, you know, like I, I don't, I don't mean to disparage him by saying he doesn't have as high a ceiling. I guess I just mean that like, you know, some of those guys like, like Ozzy, it's more the combination of a whole lot of things together with grit that make him a great player. It's not like it, particular striking ability or his, his, his reaction time in goal or things like that. I mean, I, you know mm. me, I love, I love, the, I love the holding midfielders, Hold up. you know, so, <laughs> like it's a position I love. It's not always the glamor position. And I think Hassani has got the right, the the right mindset to make the most of that, which is terrific. Um, let's talk and, a little. And yes. And look, oh, go ahead. If, if he, sorry, sir, if, 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 he, if he looks after himself, there's absolutely no reason he can't go on and have a 15 year career yeah. ahead of him, you know, whether it's major league soccer or, or it wouldn't surprise me if he goes elsewhere, you know, he's, um, he, his potential is supreme. Um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing, what he does over the next couple of years. He's, uh, he's, he's a really good asset to Minnesota United. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Metnir's entirely on purpose goal, um, <laughs> which to me was sort of, I thought that was a, a prime example of, uh, you know, putting in the hard work to hold off the other team and then, and then getting lucky when you need it. I mean, we know Roman puts in a heck of a cross that could have been a great cross that could have found somebody and could have also scored a goal that way. But it's kind of one of those things that it's not the, it's not like the sexy approach, but it's, it's one that a middle of the table team is going to need sometimes, which is what that's That's where Minnesota United is. It's like, that's, that's, that's the level we're at right now. Winning some of those, uh, maybe not pretty goals in order to get a one Oh win. Sometimes that's, that's just what it takes, right? It is. And, um, you know, you can only play the scene that's in front of you. Quite frankly, I don't care that Albert Elise wasn't playing. You know, sure, he would have made a massive difference, but you can only beat the team that's in front of you. And, and in terms of uh, Metanel's cross, um, because that's exactly what it was, um, look, you, you don't get the answer if you don't ask the question. <laughs> and, um, you know, there were uh, a plethora of bodies awaiting the service. And, um, you know, I think I think it might have been Jimmy Watson who pointed out as well. It might have even been on our broadcast or, or maybe afterwards 
um, that he has that split second. He has that half second longer than he um, than he perhaps usually needs, and, and perhaps that's why he took a touch and then played the ball in. Um, simply because I think it was Angelo Rodriguez who, who made an off-the-ball run, which may very well have distracted the, the nearest marker um, for Roman Etanau. But, but look, e- either way, I think um, sometimes... Look, sometimes Lady Luck is even wearing uh, black and blue. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I look, it's about time as well, isn't it? You know, because we've certainly uh, not had the uh, abundance that some others have uh, since coming into Major League Soccer. So, um, you know, look, it's uh, I, I, I quite frankly do not care that it was a cross. It was uh, a big statement win for Minnesota United, Houston Dynamo. Um, although they haven't been great on the road, they have been fabulous at home. Um, they are undoubtedly one of the better teams in the Western Conference, which is the better of the two conferences at the moment. If you put the two um, leagues together and you put the, the results that we've seen over the last couple of weeks together, the West is the best, in my opinion. Um but um, I, I really thought it was a big win, a statement win for Minnesota. And also for me, last week against Columbus was the real push that the team needed, particularly at home, because I think that was the one that sent a real message out to everybody in the league saying, you can't come to Allianz Field and expect to get anything. So I think Houston came. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily saying they were playing for a tie, but I don't think they were as dynamic as they usually would be. Now, maybe that's because of their form on the road. Maybe that's because Roma Cabrera thought, OK, we'll be a little less reserved because we know what's coming at Allianz Field. But what it did more than anything, Steve, is once again, it sent a message to the rest of the league saying, you can't come and play openly at Allianz Field. So I do wonder now if we are going to see a load of teams coming into Allianz Field and not necessarily expressing themselves as openly as they would do if they were playing at home or elsewhere in Major League Soccer. We had this in Kansas City a couple of years ago when Peter Vermees, his football was so dynamic, it was so high press and so fast that teams simply couldn't open up and they had to bunker in. Now, no doubt, it led to some really frustrating games where there were some nil-nils, there were some... Uh, you know, one nil victories that late goals were scored to win it for Kansas City. There were also some some late goals when the opposition scored from a set piece or something. I think a lot of times now when people think, and by no means am I comparing the two teams, Kansas City and Minnesota, but but what I'm saying is it wouldn't surprise me at all if teams come to Allianz Field now and have a much more defensive mindset about them. Yeah, I'm, I, there, there's that element. I think the, the the flip side of that coin that I've been wondering about is 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 what it takes to uh, get that success going on the road in that way, and if the sort of blueprint that's been laid down at Allianz Field with these, you know, one nil wins or, or or low scoring draws, like if that if that can translate to victories on the road, where you know you, you just don't get a lot of one zero wins when you when you're on the road, um, and what it you know like what does it take to find success like that is it, is it can it somehow translate into victories on the road and I, i'm just not sure 
Well, I think there was a big psychological barrier coming into the season, wasn't there, with road trips for Minnesota. Yeah. And I think um, you and I, as well as everybody else, when we saw the schedule come out in January and we saw there were five road games to start, we all thought, oh, my word, uh, this could be a really rough start. Um, but I think that psychological barrier was firmly pushed aside after Minnesota beat San Jose 3-0. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I know the earthquakes weren't exactly at their best that particular day, uh, far from it, in fact, but... Um, the point is, is that Minnesota now seem, seem comfortable on the roads. Um, I think Adrian, we all know the way that he likes to play. He, he, he likes to be uh, expressive. He likes his teams to, to be full of blistering pace and break away and frighten the heck out of opposing back lines. Um, the simple fact of the matter is, in my opinion, Steve, is as I just mentioned, psychologically, there's no doubt that's played its part. But I just think we've got better players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it, it could very well be as simple as that. And, and look, you know, um, not to, to harp on the, the holding midfielder train, but again, you know, when you, when you can go and, and play as freely as you want to uh, on the road, when you have somebody like Ozzy Alonso, you have the assurance and insurance of Ozzy Alonso behind you. Um, I, honestly, I think it frees up so much um, space and so much confidence uh, for the attacking players going forward. And, um, you know, no, no doubt you, you can't play like that for every road game. There are certain teams that you, you have to play a little more defensive-minded, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think moving forward, Minnesota are a lot more comfortable on the road than they ever have been before. Sure. Well, let, let's get into a, a game in which Minnesota may have to find themselves playing a little more defensively. It, you know, partly from missing Roman Metanier. So uh, let's look at Atlanta, which is coming up tomorrow uh, on Wednesday, which is where you are right now. What do you, what do you make of Atlanta United currently? They said, you know, the, the season didn't start the way they wanted it to. It was very rough. Uh, it seemed like there was a disconnect between what Frank DeBoer wanted to do and what, you know, what the identity of the team had been in the past. Um, and then they, you know, they put together five clean sheets in a row <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and looked terrific. And then now they've lost their last two. So, um, I mean, where do you see them right now? It seems like people think, you know, they're sort of in the middle of the table on in the Eastern Conference, same as Minnesota in the West. Um, and people are figure, well, they'll eventually get up there. But, like, I don't know that's a foregone conclusion necessarily. I, I know what you're saying there, but I, I seriously think when you look at their roster, for example, if they beat Minnesota on Wednesday evening, they go up to third in the Eastern Conference. Um, and all of a sudden, this wretched start that they had to the campaign is very, very swiftly forgotten. Um, I think uh, it just took the new coaching staff a little time to figure things out. Um, and they were tinkering an awful lot with the lineup. They weren't sure what formation to play. They weren't really sure what system to play. It was all very, very new for fighting the ball, wasn't it? And, mm-hmm. um, I, I listened to uh, an interview that uh, Jamie Watson did with Adrian Heath uh, on Tuesday morning. And, um, you know, Adrian Heath was, was very quick to say, yeah, I, I think all the criticism came a, a touch too early for, for Frank Ball. You know, he's, um, he's come into this league with an absolutely glittering resume. And apart from the, the old spell at Crystal Palace, uh, where it simply didn't work and he didn't really have the players he needed to play the way he wanted to, um, you know, he's, he's won the league uh, in Holland nine times Um in uh, in the the shape of uh, winning it with Ajax, you know, um, arguably the biggest team in Holland, especially after the Champions League run that we've just seen from them. Um, you know, he's won it nine times, and he's won it four times as a manager. 
you know, um, that's just, <laughs> that's yeah. not easy. That's not easy to do in a league like that when you've got the likes of Feyenoord and PSV breathing down your neck on a consistent basis. Um, and, and he, you know, he went to Inter Milan, and again, you know, that was a club at the time that were really, really going through a horrid time um, in terms of the, the background and ownership changing, and not, not the money that they're used to having available. And um, so, look, I mean, um, I, I just think that. That De Boer um, has now finally settled in. I, I think, no doubt about it, there are still a couple of questions. I've been speaking to a couple of people uh, whilst I've been down here in Atlanta, and, and there's still a couple of people that need some convincing. But are we really surprised after the near perfection that they've had over the last two years in the Tata Martino? The slightest little hiccup, and anybody's going <laughs> to question the manager here, you know? Sure. So. They just used to a certain standard here, and um, you know, quite frankly, they they didn't have that standard over the course of the first ten games or so. But if you if you look at their record in Major League Soccer, it's it's six five and two right now. It's not bad. Yeah. It's okay. It's just that Atlanta United were used to having records such as you know nine one and one. You know that that would have been something they would have been used to. So I think the fan base went through something. Uh, completely new here, um, but as you mentioned, you know they got the five wins in a row. Uh, the last two um, losses were away from home. Uh, we don't know how difficult it is uh, to go and, and win on the road in this league. And you know they went to tough places at like Red Bull Arena and they went to Real Central Stadium as well. So mm-hmm. um, you know at home though, and I think um, you know we'll we'll expect to see a, a much more advanced Atlanta United. Um, I'm intrigued to see what Adrian does with the lineup as well. Yeah, um, these are all really intriguing questions, which I'm sure uh, we'll get the answers to in uh, in 24 hours or so. Yeah, it seems like um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Minnesota United come out in something more like the you know the five three two or the three five two, depending on how you want to think about you know what your what your wing backs slash fullbacks are doing. But you know that 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 formation did some good work last year. I think in times when the when the uh, the team needed to sort of bunker a little bit and play a little bit more back and sort of clog mm-hmm. up the midfield. And I think that going on the road against, against a team that's obviously very, very dangerous in attack that has Joseph Martinez and, and missing Roman Metzner, who's been arguably the best player um, for Minnesota United overall that, you know, that's, you know, I'm fine with, I'm fine with gutting out a, a little bit of an ugly draw or a win there, you know? Oh, absolutely. That's, and I, I, I look for what it's worth. I, I absolutely Agree and, and think um, you know that wouldn't be surprising at all if you remember to if you go back to the last away win for Minnesota at New York Red Bulls. Um, we were all talking in the build-up to that game about how do you deal with Bradley Wright Phillips. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, Steve. Going back to that game, the last time Minnesota played with three at the back or five at the back, depending on how you look at it, I don't remember Bradley Wright Phillips really having a clear-cut opportunity because he was marked so well by the trio who played at centre-half. Now, having said that, I could also see them doing a couple of different things. If Eric Miller gives the thumbs up and is good to go, I can see him slotting in at left-back and Hassani Dotson at right-back. I could also see Dotson remaining at left-back and I could see Michael Foxall playing at right-back. Foxall played at right-back for the national team, uh, New Zealand. He's played right-back many a time for Vancouver Whitecaps and and did so in Australia and South Africa as well. So it's not a a position that's completely alien to him. And I could see him doing that and and Aiko Parra coming back in. And, um, you know, it'll be really, really intriguing to see what Adrian Heath does. But also, can I just mention there as well, 
I just uttered the sentence, Ito Para back in. This is the 2017 MLS Defender of the Year we're talking about, and he couldn't get a game last week. Yeah. <laughs> United. How times have changed. Yeah. Yeah, we, I was talking about that a little bit with, with Jamie uh, Watson this morning and saying how, you know, to my mind, it, it, I felt like the Ico Parra situation is like, well, you know, he's he's older, he's had a con- concussion uh, question marks, uh, he's he's had a bit of a knock and different things. It's, and, and then I saw some people saying, you know, against Houston. Well, if he's healthy, like how come he isn't starting? It's like, listen, like this is a team with playoff aspirations. Like you're going to need Ike Opara to be there at the end of the, at the end of the season. If the team is winning and doing okay, you know, without him for right now, like give him some rest. I'm fine with it. Yes. Yes. I have no problem with that either. And, and look, it is just, if anything, it is a tremendous credit to the depth yeah. that Minnesota United have now. And we'll be completely honest, we couldn't say that over the last two years, did we? Yeah, certainly not. So an interesting note about uh, playing Atlanta, the home team has not yet won a game uh, in the all-time series, So, uh, which is a very odd situation. So, uh, you know, I'd be, yeah. happy to keep, I'd be happy to keep that trend going as well. Um, another trend that I find very interesting, you're gonna have, I'm going to have to ask you to do some math um, if you're okay with that. Um, it's, it's not really math, uh, but I, I noticed this, this pattern coming up. I don't know if we've spoken about this before. After three games, Minnesota United was 2-1-0. and oh. Okay. After six games, they were three, two, and one. After nine games, they were four, three, and two. And then after 12 games, they were five, four, and three. So every three games, it's basically a win, a loss, and a draw. Um, so after beating Houston, Minnesota United is now six, four, and three, which means, and I'm just, this is just math. Okay. This is not my opinion. This is just math. Uh, due for one loss and one tie in the next two games, which are both this week, Atlanta and Philly. If you had to pick one <laughs> for each, what do you think? Oh, um, you know, I mean, um, I, I, I would say that I, I would, I would take the loss in Atlanta and I would take the win at Philadelphia to preserve the, the home stats. Okay. Yeah. I think, I mean, I would, I see a loss at Atlanta as more likely because of missing Roman being on the road, you know, a, a draw at home keeps the, Oh, sorry, a draw at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sorry. I figured this would be, sorry. <laughs> a draw at home would keep that unbeaten streak alive. I think that would be, I think that would be good. Um, I mean, I'd be fine with two wins. Honestly, I don't, I don't need to keep this pattern going, <laughs> but it is sort of eerie. Cause I noticed it after, I think after six games and it's persisted for the next sets of games. So we'll see how that goes. So uh, thinking about Philly and that possibility of a draw at home, uh, let's move on to talk about that for just a little bit since we're not going to have another podcast before that. Philly is uh, right at the top of the Eastern Conference. They're about, they were leading the Eastern Conference uh, previously. They, but they don't, they have no, I mean, I guess Marco Fabian is a, is a big name, but he has not been playing so much. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He has yet to sort of prove that he's, I mean, I think he's frustrated by it too as well. Like just that he's not been, been, been playing so much, but how, how is Philly doing it without, without a name? If I had answer, I would be on the bench with Jim Curtin, I think. Um, I, <laughs> I honestly don't know. They've looked that they have recruited quite well. Um, but I'll be honest, I, I, I didn't think it was going to go as well as it has done for them. And Jim Curtin, quite frankly, needs all the credit in the world for how they've turned it around. And, um, you know, they, um, they, for me, are the surprise package of a season so far. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody thought that Philly were going to be towards the top end. I know it's it's a consistent battle between them and, and DC United, who, who claims that top spot. But for some time, it has been Philadelphia. Um, and, and I don't know, Steve, but I, I, 
I honestly have no idea how they're doing it. I think for the first time in a long time, they do have um, an element of solidity about them. I think uh, Jack Elliott and Austin Trusty, the, the two centre-halves, uh, have been wonderful. Let's put McKenzie in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I think that they've, they've both been fabulous so far. Um, from a from a defensive point of view, uh, Andre Blake has done well as well. So, um, you know, again, there's there's an element of um, of solidity and stability about them. Um, they'll be difficult to break down. I, I wonder. Going back to the previous points earlier on, I wonder if they are one of those teams that come to Allianz Field, one of the first teams that come to our stadium and really bunker in yeah. and try and hit on the counter attack. You know, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, they're uh, they're interesting. I haven't gotten to catch too many games yet, but I, you know, as somebody who who does MLS fantasy, I've really liked. Uh, you know, Jack Elliott has been terrific as a fantasy defender, and you know, they they got guys like Madunian in and Bedoya who are not, you know, like flashy, mm-hmm. but are are real contributors. And and it's you know, it's it's sort of what you want to see out of a team that they you know, they, they suffered the, you know, the last few years. And then at the start of this season, we're not winning games, but uh, you know, if you were paying attention to sort of analytics, uh, Twitter and analytics soccer, they were talking about how they had some, one of the best expected goal rates. They just weren't converting them. And so I think what happened is they started, they started converting some of those chances, you know? Um, and that, you know, as you're saying that, that solidity you get by having a great keeper like Blake and having a terrific, you know, center back pairing um, that, that just covers up, a, a lot of, mis- I mean, not even mistakes. It just, it just papers over a lot of things. If you know that it's going to be really hard for other teams to score on you, it will be interesting to see what happens with them at Allianz field. And as teams sort of learn to play um, at Allianz and, and sort of, and sort of try to figure out how to, how to eke out a goal and not give up a goal. Um, I was also talking in the office today with some other people about the way that the, the crowd support at Allianz was, incredible against Houston. And I really, I really think that it, you know, I think that there was an initial burst of excitement over Allianz field that like the home opener was terrific. And there was some, some good energy in the building. And then it, you know, I think as it settled in a little bit, it, it flagged a little bit as the, as the goals weren't coming, you know, against the galaxy and against DC United, you know, it's like, it just wasn't, we were used to scoring a bunch of goals at home, I think, from TCF. Um, that wasn't happening. It seemed like it sort of it mellowed a little bit. But I think that it seems like the crowd and the supporters particularly embraced a little bit of that, like, gritty, hard-nosed, you know, um, defensive, you know, we're going to get a goal out of this, and that's what we need. And and it seems like they're, they're, they're going along with that. And I just – I felt like the vibe was just terrific at Allianz Field. Yeah, again, I, I think um, – again, I don't mean to be offensive when I say this, but I think on the last podcast, I describe the team as blue collar, and right. I, I think I would also identify our fans in very similar magnitude as well. Um, I think not only did our team have to get used to playing at Allianz Field, the fans have to get used to it as well. Yeah, you know they're, they're going to make mistakes, and, and you know um, have, they have to figure out what works here, what sounds best, um, what what uh, particular song do we do at this particular minute or moment, you know, so it, it's been a, a settling in period for everybody, I think. But, um, yeah, look, I mean, I've tried not to make too much of a fuss about this, to be honest, dude, because, honestly, I expected this, and it's going to become the norm in Minnesota. So whilst I will give a firm thumbs up to the Wonderwall, I thought they were fabulous, I also think it's important, let's not, let's not completely put this out there as, oh, wow, look at this, we can't believe 
how well this has gone mm-hmm. because I've always expected this from our fans because they are just so passionate about Minnesota United and the uh, the, the volume and the decibel that they produced at Allianz Fields, quite frankly, and I can say this through experience, quite simply, if you were to put that atmosphere anywhere in the world, it would have fit in, it would have even eclipsed a, a lot of other atmospheres around world football, for sure. Yeah. No, I'm absolutely down to get spoiled by it. You know, I think that... I, I think that it's tough because Minnesota as a sports state, the Twin Cities as a sports town gets, has gotten used to being the underdog. Uh, It's true across almost all the sports. Um, And I love underdogs. I mean, that's, it's, that's my go-to rooting thing is I love teams that are fighting against adversity. Um, But, you know, I could get used to, you know, being unbeaten at home and making it, you know, along the lines of a place like Children's Mercy Park where you, you don't want to go and play. Um, I think that would be, I think that would be terrific for Minnesota United. I think it'd be terrific for Minnesota, terrific for Minnesota sports in general. So um, I'm, I'm ready to get spoiled. <laughs> yes, I, I couldn't agree more. Bring it on. Really looking forward to that relationship um, with the fans um, becoming more established and uh, really looking forward to that reputation of Allianz Field continuing to grow. Yes. Well, thank you for joining us for the 59th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is on Wednesday, May 29th, uh, when mid- when uh, I got this mixed up. When Minnesota United visits Mercedes-Benz Stadium to face Atlanta United at 6 p.m. You can watch the, that game on Fox Sports North and listen on that's Fox Sports North, right? I'm not. I think I got that right this time. Yes, FSN, yes. Yes. It's just one little plus every time I'm like, <laughs> did, I, did I do it right? Fox Sports North and listen on Score North. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Venturis. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you and people can like you exactly as you are. <laughs>